Welcome to the new JFK show number 170. We're incredibly happy that Larry Rivera is back on the show. Of course, everyone's been commenting that they're worried about Larry, and we've been worried about Larry ourselves. However, I want everyone to know that Larry Rivera is the number one JFK researcher in the world, and it also poses problems for other people that are posing as JFK researchers. And we're going to let Jim Fetzer explain more, starting right now. Well, we got a very peculiar situation where they're conducting a mock trial in Houston, and Larry was going to be the key witness to give Oswald the alibi, which, of course, is rooted in the fact that he was standing in the doorway of the Texas School Book Depository when the motorcade passed by, which not only means that he cannot have been the lone demented gunman, but that he cannot have been one of the multiple shooters. Let's see how this has shaped up. We have, uh, we have the state of Texas versus Lee Harvey Oswald, November 16th and 17th. The courtroom drama that never had a chance to occur will now be held live featuring world-renowned JFK assassination expert. We'll take a look at some of these uh, purported experts and what role they, they may be playing or may not. Uh, they include the judge, the Honorable J.T. Carahan, uh, uh, Harris County Criminal Court Judge. Uh, I presume he's an okay guy. The prosecutor's Gus E. Pappas, partner W. Pappas, I don't know him, from Adam. Amanda Webb, a criminal defense attorney. Uh, she's a defense attorney, but in this case, she's on the prosecution. When we come to the defense counsel, I find the situation a bit more troubling. Robert K. Tannenbaum was a uh, Deputy Chief Counsel for the House Select Committee on Assassinations. The more I dig into the House Select Committee, the more it's obvious that it was an elaborate cover-up. They went by to try to redo it even better than the Warren Commission. For example, their medical panel con concluded there was no blowout to the back of the head at all, but a small entry wound at the top of the head, which is not only consistent with the Parkland physicians, but is inconsistent with the uh, uh, Bethesda autopsy report, which shows a complete missing back of the head. The whole back of the head is missing. So someone who had a role to do with the HSCA bothers me. Then we got this Lawrence Schnapp, who, who, who's a, a, an adjunct professor at NY Law School. Let me tell you, adjuncts are, are, are the lowest hanging fruit, okay? That means he doesn't have a tenure track position. That means they hire the guy to do one or two courses for minimal pay. The guy is not a significant member of the faculty there. This is a posture. Then we have Bill Simpich, who's a San Francisco-based civil rights attorney, who's into wiretapping, framing Oswald. So far as I know, he's probably an okay guy, but I'm very suspicious of the other two. Now let's go forward to the key witnesses. Robert McClellan, of course, drew a diagram at the time of the massive fist-sized blowout at the back of the head. He is peerless. He's wonderful. Cyril Weck, I'll tell you, when I discovered that the HSCA had contracted the wound to the small entry wound at the top of the head, I called up Cyril. And I said, Cyril, I said, you know, because he was a member of the medical panel, I said, how did the HSCA uh, contract the massive missing back of the head uh, seen in the Bethesda autopsy report to a small wound at the top of the head? And Cyril said to me, I'll have to check my notes. That was a very disillusioning experience. Gary Aguilar. Gary Aguilar is an associate with Josiah Thompson. When Assassination Science was published, it blew apart the cover-up because David Manning demonstrated that the x-rays had been altered to conceal a fist-sized blowout at the back of the head. Bob Livingston, world authority on the human brain, concluded that the brain shown in diagrams and photographs was not the brain of JFK. David discovered evidence of a second shot to the head. Josiah Thompson sought to trivialize the book by calling it assassinated science, which was simply absurd. Uh, and get this, Gary Aguilar's true colors came out when it turned out that I did a four and a half hour study video at my own expense, JFK, the assassination, the cover up and beyond in 1994 when I found a major distributor out of Chicago 
we started marketing the book. It was selling like 60 copies a month, okay? But Gary Aguilar and Kathy Cunningham intervened to threaten to sue if they didn't stop distributing the video. Kathy Cunningham wrote to Gary and copied me probably inadvertently and said, we've got a problem. I had a generously acknowledged them it, it, along with David Manick and Bob Livingston, I mentioned the name of Gary Aguilar and Kathy Cunningham. And because I knew she was a nurse, I put RN. She turns out to be a PN. She used that as a grounds that I was attempting to embarrass her by promoting her to a registered nurse. The whole thing stank to high heaven. Gary Aguilar was a part of the suppression of that four and a half hour documentary. And I tell you, as I sit here today, Nothing I reported in that documentary has been shown to be false by any subsequent development. We'd be light years ahead if that only been allowed to come out. Then we have Michael Chesser, MD, board certified in neurology and clinical neuropsychology, physiology. I do not know him. I cannot comment. Lucian C. Haig, former criminalist and technical director of the Phoenix Crime Lab. I do not know him. I cannot comment on him. David W. Manick, MD, PhD, is the world's leading expert on the medical evidence of the JFK assassination. He's completely peerless. I don't know why it says Palm Desert-based radiation oncologist. He resides in Rancho Mirage. Larry Rivera obviously would have been the most important of all the witnesses. We have Larry with us here now. Clifford Spiegelman, PhD, distinguished professor of statistics, author of over 100 scientific publications. He's talking about the bullet lots. Is a second shooter possible? Well, that's absurd. There were at least six. I've identified six shooters, eight to 10 shots fired. I can tell you where they were fired from, what happened to the bullets, where they went, which hit JFK, which did not. And he's still diddling over whether there's a second shooter. Donald Thomas, PhD, prolific author of the acoustical evidence in the Kennedy assassination revisited. He did the sound study based upon the, the microphone recorded audio tape, which has many different spikes. I, I consider that to reveal a minimum of eight to 10 shots uh, where they set up the microphones under the direction of the HSCA to test from the grassy knoll, but also only from the vicinity of the sixth floor of the book depository and the Daltex. And I asked Donald Thomas specifically, because I was the co-chair of this meeting where he spoke, whether it was sufficiently discriminating to distinguish between shots fired from the Daltex and shots fired from the sixth floor of the book depository. And he gave me the answer I expected, which is no, it was not. So I'm very troubled because now Larry has been taken out and he's been taken out as a witness on the ground that he was our participant in a show, not new JFK show number 85 about the Mossad in Dallas, where uh, uh, Don Fox was presenting evidence that the Mossad had control of buildings there, including the Dow Tax, including the uranium mining company from whose uh, broom closet window three shots were fired by an anti-Castro Cuban named Nestor Tony Escadro using a man liquor Carcano the only shots that were fired with an unsilenced weapon where his performance was supervised by none other than George H.W. Bush, who was arrested coming out of the Dow tax, where a deputy sheriff kept track of the record, where he, he was taken downtown and questioned but not booked, released, wound up back in Dealey Plaza, where he had photographs of him standing in front of the book depository. That's one of several we have done about the role of Israel in the assassination such as the new JFK show number 79 per Mindex, the new show number 88, the full Israeli connection discussing the work of Michael uh, Collins Piper. This is a crucial underexplored aspect of the assassination that deserved more attention, not less. The idea of taking Larry out because of participation in that meeting is simply shocking. Included among the latest releases, for example, was the following from Homer Echevera who is identified here as the subject. This is an FBI informant advising the Chicago office that subject, Homer Acavera, was a member of an anti-Castro-Cuban group. Subject allegedly approached informant to provide machine guns for the Cuban Revolution. On the 21st, the day before the assassination, the subject, Homer Acavera, allegedly told the informant, we now have plenty of money 
our new backers are Jews as soon as we or they take care of Kennedy. Subject expressed favorable attitude toward LBJ, whom we have independently identified as a pivotal player in the assassination. In addition, we know this. Uh, a letter I wrote to Ralph copying to uh, Lawrence and Bill with copies to you guys, dropping Larry as a witness on the ground that he participated in a show about the role of Israel in the assassination of JFK strikes me as a complete and utter obscenity. This has to be an effort to sabotage the case by finding an obscure ground to take him out. In a legal trial, the objection relevance would end any cross-examination about those issues because they have no relevance. Was Lawrence a responsible party? I intend to make an issue of this because it has no legitimate foundation. Not only is this not a case of anti-Semitism, but the program in question demonstrated Israeli involvement. Not to be intrusive, but is Lawrence or Bill Jewish? Are they Mossad? Are they related to US Intel CIA? That may be accusatory, but to remove this witness in this case on these grounds is completely absurd. We appear to have reached a point where truth does not matter. I suspect whoever took him off the witness list is working for the other side. What can be more blatant proof of subverting truth? Well, we have two more confirming lines of proof. But Larry, yes, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Jim, I just wanted to, uh, because I've been uh, going through the new uh, releases of files, and I found a, a document that clearly establishes Homer Echeverria as a CIA asset with a 201 file. Not only Homer, but his father. Okay, so this was all in the family, and these are new documents that, you know, they have to go over these documents, you know, uh, very meticulously, and, and uh, you know, it's pretty obvious, you know, so this sort of, like, changes the whole dynamic of, of Echeverria's, both Echeverria's, you know, uh, involvement in this, you know, because, you know, like I said, you know, 201 files, you know, are pretty obvious that you're a CIA asset, you know, so. Very, very good. We'll, we'll have to devote a whole... Yeah. show to this, Larry, possibly even on the 22nd. Now, Ralph Sinkay sought to find a replacement for you that wouldn't be vulnerable to the fabricated charge that led to your dismissal, namely Chana Gail Willis, who has said, yes, listen to this, uh, to Larry Bill Shauna. She'll book a flight immediately to Houston. She asked for 1050 to cover airfare, hotel, and other expenses. And if you don't have room for it in your budget, I will gladly pay it to her. Regarding images, she can present the images that I sent you if you brought them. I hope you did. She can bring Larry Rivera's overlays on a PC thumb drive if there will be a PC in the courtroom. Before I go any further, are you interested in this or not? Oswald needs an alibi, and Shanna Gale will present his real one. The, that other guy who works with Casey Quinlan won't. He will claim something else and presenting a false alibi, which he will, will be ruinous. Larry Revere is not an anti-Semite. But regardless, you can't decide on Oswald's alibi based on that. Don't you get it? The images rule. And the images say Oswald was standing in that doorway during the shooting. Mark Lane, Jim Mars, Vince Salandria, Jim Douglas, David Rohn, Gerald McKnight, and many more have said it. If you go with anything else, you will be blowing it. Shayna Gale Willis is poised, posed and ready to go, but she has to know no later than 5 p.m., which is an hour from now. Ralph. Well, they said no to this substitute for Larry who would have presented his arguments. Now, I asked Ralph about who they're bringing in instead. And this, in my opinion, is a third strike. Uh, you'll see below he refers to Brian Edwards, a guy who works with Casey Quinlan. I put this up today about Quinlan. Uh, this is in the blog, Oswald in the Doorway, the blog of the Oswald Innocence Campaign. And look at this, the treachery of Casey Quinlan. Quinlan is making up a quote he's attributed to Lee Oswald. I stood at the top of these steps on the first floor behind the glass doorway, caught a glimpse of the presidential parade and saw Mr. Shelley and Billy Lovelady on the front steps. That's completely outrageous. <clears throat> That is Quinlan's poster, but the quotation attributed to Oswald is totally false. Oswald never said that. It is not in the evidence record. It is an outrage that Casey Quinlan made up that statement and attributed it to Oswald. What we have is the Fritz note with, out with Bill Shelley in front, and there's a vague statement by Hostie and Bookout that Oswald said he was on the first floor during the shooting. Mm -hmm. Then Fritz went on to tell 
the WC, the Warren Commission that that Oswald claimed, and here I can't read the rest of it. Can you read the rest of it? Eating lunch with other employees during the shooting, which was also a lie. Right, because he was on the front steps and we've been able to prove it. Larry, I'm very embarrassed. This tells me, uh, this tells me that they are uh, loading the dice. They have not only taken out the best candidate uh, to give him an alibi, you, they have turned down a substitute against whom they couldn't bring the same allegation of the purported anti-Semitism because she'd not been a participant of that program demonstrating his Israel-controlled buildings in Dealey Plaza. Uh, and then they imply bringing in a guy who's going to testify exactly opposite the truth. Larry, I'm profoundly disturbed by well, all of this. Well, when I look at that image that you just showed, Jim, I remember last year well, we presented, not only did we identify Lee Oswald as doorman, but we identified Black Hole Man as, as, as Billy Lovelady. And those, I think that those overlays were even more compelling in identifying Billy Lovelady because we were able to uh, overlay, yeah. you know, the nose, the mouth, the ear, you know, and, and uh, the general confirmation of, of his uh, anatomy in, in those areas, you know. And, uh, and we did it with uh, not just one, but two different photographs of, of Billy Lovelady. So it's pretty, pretty clear to me that uh, the man on the right visoring his eyes is Billy Lovelady, and obviously doorman is Lee. So Larry, I have to ask a question. So you're telling me that all of your overlays are not going to make it in the courtroom? I don't think so, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, you know, the thing about this is that no, well, I, we're, we're, we're not okay with it, Larry. You know, I, I we're, made, we're not okay with it. This has been over 50 years. We've been denied the truth about the assassination. This is the deepest target secret that the Warren Commission wanted to keep from the American people. Here was a perfect opportunity to reveal it and that they are scuttling your brilliant work uh, vindicating Lee Oswald from the role of, of a shooter is outrageous. Well, I, I, wanna, I, had, I had made, uh, you know, travel arrangements to Houston, you know, and when I said, look, you know, I have already, you know, I, and I was told, well, you know, get a refund. <laughs> yeah, and the one thing I want to point out is that this Lawrence Schnapps, however you pronounce his name, actually said that on the program in question that we realized that the anti-Semitic remark was not made by you. That's right. However, I never, I never said a word. Uh, that's right. That's right. And, not and, one word during yeah. that show, and you're going to be removed as the most important witness yeah. in the entire courtroom. Yeah. And when you're walking in with a satchel full of evidence, and because someone on a show that we made two years ago, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. used. They went out of their way. Don't forget that that was Don Fox's show that, that, that night, you know. Yeah. Okay, Larry, we want you to present what you would have presented had you okay. had the opportunity to do it. I'm going to pause so we can pull up your slide set, and then we'll continue mm -hmm. with your presentation had you had the opportunity to appear mm -hmm. in this mock trial of Lee Oswald. Okay. Uh, well, uh, basically, I was asked to provide, uh, you know, computer imaging technology uh, for two, two aspects here, the uh, backyard photos and the man in the doorway. Uh, the first portion, obviously, because it shows, you know, that he was, they, they, they actively tried to frame him. Well, they're not tried, they did frame him. And the other, the man in the doorway, which uh, we have already presented uh, many times, you know, not just at, at conferences, but here uh, on the internet, you know, with our um, videos, you know, on YouTube. So, uh, but I, the, the uh, part about the backyard images, I think, is very interesting because we have new uh, overlays and new studies that, uh, and I, I, you know, I've shown these to people who don't know anything about the case, you know, and they've just, they just, you know, flat out told me, you know, what's going on here? That's obviously, you know, a frame here. You know, that's not uh, being superimposed. Probably mad inserts, you know, to uh, fit his, his face in there. But... We're gonna we're gonna go and, and, and go through these uh, slides here, and, and uh, you know, our our audience will be able to appreciate what I'm talking about. Because what, what we're gonna do here is act like like this is an, an actual trial, okay? Go for it, Larry. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Jim. Do the honors here. Well, no, Larry, you have the control of the slides. They're no, no, but uh, yeah, yeah, read it. Yeah, read it. Oh, oh. 
The famous backyard images of Lee Oswald holding two weapons and two left-wing publications. Those were the communist newspapers, the worker and the militant, were right. used to paint Lee Oswald as a violent malcontent capable of assassinating the president of the U.S. Life magazine did its very best to disseminate and propagate one of these images by prominently publishing it on the cover of its 21 February 1964 issue. Notice, as an aside, to call these images photographs or photos is uh, is to give them too much credence. They were manufactured images. Continue, Larry. Yeah. So this is what uh, we're talking about. And and this is known as uh, Commission Exhibit 133A. Uh, we're going to see that there were three different uh, photographs, and uh, the first two were shown to Lee, you know, the, the night of uh, November 23rd. And, and as I think this through, you know, Jim, uh, I'm thinking that uh, when Lee, and we're going to see what, uh, how he reacted when he was shown these, and his reaction, as far as I'm concerned, sealed his fate, because that same night they decided that they had to take him out. When he said, look, those are fakes and I can prove it, uh, Okay, and uh, we'll just continue here. These are the images. These are the images which we now enter as exhibits using the same names that were established by the Warren Commission. Commission exhibits from left to right, CE-133A, CE-133B, and CE-133C. The first two was shown to Lee the evening of, uh, of 23 November 1963. Curiously, CE-133C did not service until the 1970s among the possessions of former Marine and Dallas Police Department officer Roscoe White. At that time, the HSCA took possession of it and returned it later to the White family. These are the three images that we're talking about, A, B, and C. And, uh, you know, I think C is the most significant because as we go through this presentation, um, uh, it's, it's a pose that's very particular, and as they found, you know, later on some, some photographs or some images at the Dallas Police Department, uh, we're going to see that that's exactly the same pose. And I'm going to show you some very, very interesting uh, images that I uh, put together. Uh -oh. Okay, now right here on the evening. On the evening of 23 November 1963, Lee was being interrogated by Captain Will Flitz. FBI agent Jane Bookout and agent Thomas Kelly, FBI agent Thomas Kelly about these images. Uh, they were presented to Oswald. He sneered at them saying they were fake photographs. Uh, he said uh, uh, he'd been photographed a number of times the day before by the police and apparently after they photographed him, they superimposed on the photographs a rifle, put a gun in his pocket. They got into a long argument with Captain Fritz about his knowledge of photography and asked Fritz a number of times whether the smaller photograph was made from the larger or the larger was made from the smaller. He said at the proper time he would show the photographs were faked. Fritz told him the smaller photograph was taken from his effects at the garage. Oswald became arrogant and refused to answer any further questions concerning the photographs and not identify the photographs as even being a photograph of himself. Captain Fritz displayed great patience and tenacity in attempting to secure from Oswald the location of what apparently is the backyard of an address at which Oswald formerly lived. But it was apparent that Oswald, although slightly shaken by the evidence, had no intention of furnishing any information, which is, of course, highly interpretive because Oswald really said that that was his face pasted on somebody else's body and he knew something about photography and with time he'd be able to prove it. And, and I believe that this is, this is the point in time that uh, sealed his fate, Jim, because when he told him, look, I can prove it, you know, say, they said, you know, we're in trouble, we got to take this guy out. It's just, that's, it's that simple, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Go ahead. Uh, Secret Service, uh, Thomas Kelly. Uh, from the very notes of Secret Service agent Thomas Kelly, I'd like to quote what Lee said the evening of November 23rd, 1963, if I may. He said at the proper time he would show that the photographs were fakes. As Lee's legal counsel of record in these proceedings, shall we finish what Lee intended to do? Had he not been cut down in the basement of City Hall the following day? Why not? Let's begin with some very basic observations. The figure in CE-133A is not wearing a ring on either ring figure. Let CE me go back here, right here, okay? And I'll go back. Yeah. CE-133B is wearing a ring on his right ring finger. Wow, that's very good. The figure in ce 133 is wearing a ring on his left ring finger. The figure is also wearing a watch on his left wrist. When we go back 
Okay. See the uh, circles there? This is 133C right here down here. Yeah. When we go back to CE133B, we note the figure is not wearing a watch, while in CE133A, the wrist is blocked by the hand holding the rifle. Yeah, see this here, right here. And, and this is like very basic stuff here. And I, 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 I want to, I have to say that Amy uh, Joyce was the one who brought this up, you know, and, and we did, uh, and we studied it, you know, and I, I want to congratulate her, you know, because this was something that we totally overlooked, you know. And yeah, we had her on the show last week. That's right, that's right. So uh, I'm giving her all the credit. I just took it one step further, that's all. <laughs> Well, we want to have her back. Yeah. Okay, photogrammetry suggests the same face was inserted into all three photographs with simple airbrushing used to slightly alter the mouth, head, and hair, where photogrammetry, of course, is the application of mathematics to the analysis of photographs. Yeah, and when, we, and when you do this and, and you uh, establish, you know, the, uh, you know, the size, you scale everything, and you start to, to uh, do these photogrammetric lines <clears throat> across, which is what we usually do, and as you know, photogrammetry in this sense also works uh, in parallel with the overlays. Okay, so right here, and, and then we color code, uh, you know, the, uh, A, the A, B, and C. And as you can see, you know, everything, you know, lines up perfectly, and there's no indication of any type of movement, which, you know, as far as I'm concerned, is impossible. You know, when you have three different photographs, you know, there should be some kind of change in the features, you know, and we do not have that at all here. Okay, oops, okay. So here. When we, when we superimpose all three of these, this is the result, all features line up perfectly. Play yeah. color animation. Right, and uh, right here. This is, uh, as you can see, this is the overlay uh, animated GIF. And of course, this, uh, Jack White observed long ago when you have the three you know, photographs, and I think there's even a fourth, taken in different positions at different times, you're not going to have identical expressions on each of That's the right. photographs. That's a, an optical impossibility. So the fact they're all the same indicates that when Lee protested, it was his face pasted on someone else's body. He had it exactly right. Right. Well, so we're going to focus now. Go ahead, Gary. Go ahead. Has Lee ever said anything that wasn't true? <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, now we're None of which we are aware, right. Now, we're going to focus on the chin. That's why, you know, I've blown this up, uh, these images up, <clears throat> so that uh, people can uh, make the comparison. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. This is obviously uh, CE133A. And this is Lee's chin, okay? As you can see, it's a very uh, particular chin, uh, the anatomy and everything. Uh, and, and it's got a cleft, you know, it's got, you know, a, a certain physiology, you know, uh, and, yep. and it's just, you know, inescapable, you know, and when you go here to the Dallas Police Department uh, photograph, you know, it's the same, you know, and when you, you know, if you go back, you know, and you compare, and I'm going to show you now, I prepared this uh, GIF, and this is going to uh, go back and forth between one and the other, and all I want you to do is just focus on the chin, okay? Yeah, it's obviously not Lee Oswald's chin. It's a blocked chin. Right. Because Oswald had a more tapered, narrow chin. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, this is like just basic stuff. We already know it's not Lee Oswald's chin. Right, right. But this is, you know, this is uh, physiologically <clears throat> speaking. And, 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 and don't forget, this is in front of a jury, by the way. Yeah, anybody who sees this, you know, obviously... So then here we have a side-by-side -side comparison, and this is even more compelling because you can see them, you know. And uh, the middle one is the uh, New Orleans Police Department, you know, when he was arrested, you know, with uh, Bringier and his friends in, in downtown da uh, New Orleans. And the one on the right is the uh, Dallas Police. And, you know, just look at these, you know, and obviously it's not the same thing. Look, 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 a little kid could tell the difference. It doesn't require a sophisticated level of analysis. Yeah, I really want to say something real quick. I want everyone to be in the jury box tonight. And I want you to be as angry as we are that this stuff is going to be denied at the Lee Oswald trial. It just, it just fries my rear end. I can't. I can't hardly handle it. Vertical <laughs> photogrammetry. Setting interpupillary distance allows the alignment and scaling of all other features. This is done by overlaying a grid onto our test images. 
This exercise will validate the accuracy of our overlays. The result is perfect geometry in the areas of mouth, eyes, nose, and left ear. Now, I want you to look at the, the on the right, which is his left, you know, and you can see how the ears, you know, line up perfectly. As you move to the center, you know, we're setting the interpupillary distance, and uh, that one lines up perfectly with the left eye, okay? Right, if you're looking at the photo from the front. And then we bisect, you know, the face from the nose all the way down. And as you can see, we got a perfect match. Then you know, it's interesting to me, Larry, because that photograph at the bottom has always struck me as the odd man out. It always struck me this looked like a much more handsome guy than we see in all the other photographs. And yet, they're all of the same, one and the same Lee Harvey Oswald. That's right. We've done overlays between this photograph and the DPD uh, mugshot, and they line up perfectly. The only thing that doesn't line up, obviously, is that Lee got beat up. So he had that, uh, that uh, bruise, you know, and, and swelling over his right. uh, left eyebrow. Okay. So, so here, basically, what we're doing is establishing, you know, the geometry of, of the two uh, images. And as we move to the left, okay, you're going to see, if you look at the uh, line, I didn't draw a line because it's pretty obvious, the, the ear on the backyard man is completely out of, out of line with the ear of Lee Oswald, okay? And we're going to see how this works here. Okay, what I've done here, the middle, you can see a, a square in the middle, okay? We established, you know, that geometry there, the eye, the nose, the, the lips, you know, the mouth, and the chin. And when we compare it here, we see that it's exactly the same. You know, there is not very much difference here. And uh, so, so this is, these are like blow-ups, you know, of what we saw previously. And uh, this is just, to me, this is just basic um, overlay, you know, computer imaging technology, you know, that uh, we're, ab we're able to use, you know, to study these uh, images. And admissible in court, isn't it, Larry? Oh, of course, of course. Now, this is, uh, you can continue here if we, uh, Jim. If we conduct overlay studies of the same New Orleans Police Department photograph onto the figure in CE-133A, this is the result. Notice how the features do not move at all, you know, which gives us a positive identification that, yes, those are the features of Lee Oswald, and, and so it should be proportional, you know, okay? The, the width of the head, once you have the eyes and everything, the nose and the mouth and everything lined up, you know, everything should fall into place, yet it does not, okay? So, and we're going to see why that happens uh, pretty soon here. When we examine the overlay results, the size of the head does not match the size of Lee Oswald's head. The right side and neck bulges noticeably, a clear indication of artificial composition. Now, I, 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 this, I, I notice this because as you can see where the, on the left side, you know, where the neck sort of like joins the jaw, you know, up here on the right, you know, it's completely different from the other side, you know, it's a clear indication that this was filled in in some manner, you know, like I said, a mat insert, you know, or, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, operation like that, that they had, that, that was the only technology that they had at the time. Okay, so uh, th this is, uh, you know, a pretty good indication that this has been fabricated. So this, this, is, uh, this is what should have been said in court right here, to summarize. To summarize these points, we wish to point out the inconsistent rings, the wristwatches, the, the chins, and the bulging right side of the head and neck of this figure when known photos of Lee are superimposed onto CE-133A. Authors note, we could go into how the shadows of the face do not fall in the same lines as the body by presenting 3D models. However, due to time constraints plus the inability of a jury to remain focused on a certain presentation for a certain amount of time, we should stick with the obvious. For example, all three photographs show a straight symmetrical shadow under the nose, which is tilted, even though it's tilted in CE-133B and CE-133C. That's right. That's right. Roscoe. Roscoe White, the fact that CE-133C was found among the possessions of Roscoe White raises all kinds of questions about his possible involvement in the production of these composites. At this time, I would like to present a very possible scenario based once again on computer imaging technology. Larry, it's far beyond merely possible. You <laughs> Well, you know, you can't uh, say that in court. You know, you have to, you know. 
These uh, images were found in possession of the Dallas Police Department. They show the same pose as CE-133C, the one found among Roscoe White's possessions in 1976. I think this is key in understanding uh, what was going on here, uh, Jim, because, you know, uh, this, this is uh, pretty good evidence. You know, when you find this, you know, in possession of the DPD, it doesn't matter when they did it, you know. And, and these are, are uh, images that I obtained, you know, from the actual uh, website, you know, uh, of, uh, that, that uh, they donated, you know, all their material to this historical website, you know, and they have tons of stuff in there. And in fact, original documents, you know, in, in color, you know, for example, affidavits, you know, and stuff. I found the uh, Billy Lovelady affidavits, original ones, you know. Yeah, in color, you know, with the blue ink and everything there. And, and I, that's where I, I obtained these. And, and of course, the, the mat on the right is what you'd need if you wanted to fake one of these photographs. But the fact is the detective said he was just trying to see how it could be done, which is an obviously clumsy explanation for proof that the Dallas Police Department was faking these photographs. That's right. And, and see, okay, this is uh, CE-133C, and when you insert, and I did I, this next slide I'm going to show you, I just did a little experiment to see if it would fit, okay? And this is the result, okay? It's almost, a per, you know, a perfect fit there into that space, the white space. You know, I've outlined it here, you know, in, in dotted lines here. But, uh, you know, it, it's an almost perfect fit, you know? Yes. And this, I think this is uh, very strong evidence that they might have used that same... Um, Images. They may have used the very same yeah. map to create it's, the it's photographs. Known as, yes. as the ghost image. Okay. Right. 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 And uh, so that I thought. Uh, now the <laughs> the beach photo showing Roscoe White depicts Roscoe in a pose, standing with his weight on his right hip, which is exactly the pose seen in Backyard Man. Now th this is, I think, because I just noticed it uh, this the other day. Look at how Roscoe is standing on his right hip. Okay, on on the, in the beach photo. Now look at the backyard man. It's, it's exactly the same pose, you know? And, of course, and, there's a width difference just because, you know, it, it, the, the right-hand photograph needs to be expanded slightly to show yeah, what scaled, you're going to yeah, demonstrate. Scaled, yeah, right, scaled, yeah. And, and that's, yeah. What do, that's what we do here on the, in, on the next uh, slide. Series, yeah. Yeah, I, I figured, you know, let's uh, do this experiment and overlay since we have a, a, a very good frontal shot of, of Roscoe White, okay, and, and see how it plays out, you know, onto uh, Backyard Man. And, you know, I, I was just completely flabbergasted when I, when I saw that the head, the shoulders, the torso, you know, the trap, the trapezius muscle and everything, you know, everything lined up perfectly. And then, you know, obviously the chin of Roscoe White there that you see at the bottom, you know, in this marine photo. Yes, it's the blocked chin we find in the backyard photographs. Right, right. And, and don't forget that the marine photo of, of Roscoe is at a slight angle, you know, so it's not going to show exactly the same, but, you know, you sort of get the idea that uh, that's, that's Roscoe. And, and here's an overlay uh, a GIF, you know, uh, showing that. Okay. Impressive. Yeah. Jim. Uh, Jim Mars and I co-authored an article entitled Framing the Patsy, the Case of Lee Harvey Oswald, where we concluded that indeed the person who stood in for Lee was Roscoe White because mm -hmm. he had this funny bump on his right wrist. Yeah. I mean, he yeah, was not only right. the right height, weight, build, and so forth to stand in with yeah. a block chin, but yeah, he has this funny bump on his right arm. And Jim and I concluded on that basis, you know, yeah. all of those yeah. factors combined that it indeed had been Roscoe White, which you are further confirming here. Yeah, and, and it was apparently some kind of fracture or something that it didn't heal proper, properly, you know, and, and yeah, yeah, I, and that's, uh, that, was, that was one of the very first indications, you know, but now these overlays completely confirm it, Jim. Um, and this is like a close-up of that same uh, uh, figure before, and I just, you know, it's, it's a perfect fit, you know, what, you know, what can you say, you know, it, it's it just, just no doubt. I think this is 100% accurate here and uh you know now what i want to show you is if what what happens if we overlay lee onto backyard man oops i think uh i lost that one okay yeah i uh don't have that one right here it's but, just his uh, slideshow again yeah let me see if i can uh, fish it out of here uh 
Go for it. Okay, now this is, uh, is an overlay of Lee Oswald onto Backyard Man. And obviously, you can see that the neck is shorter, which brings the shoulders higher, okay? And you compare this with the other one, and it's pretty obvious, you know, that that's not Lee Oswald in, in the Backyard photos, okay? Wonderful. That's wonderful. I love it. Yeah, see the chin? We line up the chin, okay? So everything should fall into place, right? But it doesn't. Okay, so I think this one is uh, pretty, pretty much clinches it uh, as far as I'm concerned. And we can go move on to the... Well, you got to double proof. You got to prove that the, the man in the backyard was, in fact, uh, being played by Roscoe White and that the backyard man cannot be Lee Oswald. I mean, that's as powerful as it gets, Larry. Yeah, because you have to give the other option. Okay, you can't just present one. You have to say, okay, what happened if we do a Lee onto the backyard, you know, with, and with this type of uh, uh, technology, and, and it's pretty obvious that it's not him. You know? And he was, he was right. He said, these are fakes, you know, and I can prove it, you know, and, and as far as I'm concerned, that's what sealed his fate, you know, uh, for the next Larry, day. this is like my book, book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, which was banned by Amazon.com less than a month after it went on sale. Too much truth. It blew apart the official account. There were 13 contributors, including six current or retired PhD professors. They banned the book just as you have been banned as a witness from the, from the Lee Harvey Oswald mock trial because you bring too much truth. You settle the issue, just as our book settled the question that the school wasn't even open after 2008 and there were no kids there. Okay, so uh, we're ready to do the next one if, if you guys are up to it. I'm going to stop the sheriff for a minute right here. Larry, now you turn to the question of where was Lee Oswald at the time of the assassination? Both FBI agent James W. Bookout and Dallas Police Department homicide captain Will Fritz reported Oswald claims to have been on the first floor with his supervisor, Bill Shelley. Carolyn Arnold saw Lee on the first floor at 1225, five minutes before the assassination. Oswald stated that on November 22nd, 1963, at the time of the search of the Texas School Book Depository building by Dallas police officers, he was on the second floor of the building, having just purchased a Coca-Cola from the soft drink machine. By the way, he didn't say it was lowercase Coca-Cola, meaning generic. He actually liked Dr. Pepper, so I doubt very much it was a Coca-Cola. At which time the police officer came into the room with a pistol drawn and asked him if he worked there. Mr. Truly was present and verified that he was an employee and the police officer thereafter left the room and continued through the building. Oswald stated that he took this coat, and that should have been with a little case C, down to the first floor and stood around and had lunch in the employee's lunchroom. He thereafter went outside and stood around for five or ten minutes with foreman Bill Shelley and thereafter went home. He stayed left work because, in his opinion, based on remarks of Bill Shelley, he did not believe there was going to be any more work that day due to the confusion in the building. He stated after arriving at his residence that he went to a movie where he was subsequently apprehended by the Dallas Police Department. This is a statement from FBI agent James W. Bookout on yeah, the 22nd we, of November, 1963. That's right. And we know all about that guy. We know yeah. a lot about Bookout. Yeah, yeah I, I just wanted to mention that uh, so that people understand, you know, if you had the, the uh, I would say the grunts, you know, <laughs> for lack of a better word, you know, those who worked, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, menial jobs, you know, and who were not office workers, you know, their lunchroom was on the first floor, okay? And, uh, and the other, uh, the uh, girls and the secretaries, you know, and the uh, upper echelon employees, you know, they, they ate lunch on the second floor. Yeah, they weren't supposed to mix with the secretaries right. and all that. That's right. That's right. So that's that's important to, uh, to and, keep in mind. And of course, this whole statement was interpretive because what Lee actually said is what we find here in Wilfred's notes when he questioned him about where he was during the shooting, not with Bill Shelley in front, which is the mm -hmm. the truth of the matter, not mm -hmm. what was you know offered by uh, uh, book out as his interpretation of what he said. Mm -hmm. So here we have two different documents that establish that he was on the first floor, okay? Well, this is, a, this is a typescript of the, of, the, of the handwritten note, so it, it's, a, it's, yeah. Yeah, and, and then I found this other document where he says, I asked him, you know, right there. 
After some questions about this man's full name, I asked him if he worked for the Texas School Book Depository. He told me he did. I asked him which floor he worked on. He said usually on the second floor. Uh, sometimes his work took him to all the different floors. I asked him what part of the building he was in at the time the president was shot. He said he was having his lunch about that time on the first floor. Mr. Truly had told me that one of the police officers stopped this man immediately after the shooting somewhere near the back stairway. So I asked Oswald where he was when the police officer stopped him. He said he was on the second floor drinking a Coke when the officer came in. I asked him why. Mm -hmm. Now, this is Carolyn Arnold, okay? And, and we, we need to uh, spend a little time, you know, in, in what happened with her, uh, with her testimony. <clears throat> because uh, th this is the first... Uh, document that, that where you know she establishes this is on 1126 okay and I want to I want to interject here real, real uh, quickly you know this um, this document actually contained a, a handwritten uh, um, after not an affidavit but a statement by her uh, to this effect and it was signed by her Harold Weisberg uh, was tried to, you know, get his hands on this document for many, many years. When he finally did, he had it filed away in his, he had, you know, file cabinets, you know, in his basement, you know, just many. And he used to allow researchers to come and, and you know, look at his, his uh, files, you know. And, and he had that uh, handwritten statement signed by Carolyn Arnold in his files. And after he let somebody in there, he doesn't even remember who it was, it disappeared. Okay, and then obviously when they tried to get another copy, they couldn't because, you know, it had been uh, deep six, you know. So the, here it establishes 12.15, okay, as, as a time. And obviously... Well, she actually gave multiple reports. Right. She saw, it, yeah, yeah. she saw him at 12.15, but she saw him again at 12.25, according to her report. Carolyn That's Arnold right. seems yes. to be a very honest person. But it yeah. also appears when she last saw him, he was heading, you know... He followed the crowd outside to see what was going on. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at C1381, which uh, uh, encompasses all the, uh, the uh, testimonies, this, these were all uh, testimonies that were unsigned, you know, and supposedly they interviewed, you know, the FBI interviewed all these people, you know, and all the employees that worked at the TSBD. And now here they're saying, I did not see Lee Harvey Oswald at the time the president was shot. Okay. So here already you've got two completely conflicting versions, you know, of what's going on. Well, okay. there's five minute difference between 1225 and 1230. So, yeah, yeah. And, and now this was, this is a very important uh, article that Earl Goltz, you know, uh, wrote uh, in 1978 because he went down and he tracked her down by that time. She was married. Her name was Carolyn Johnston, okay, uh, living in Stephenville. And uh, here's where she really laid out, you know, exactly what happened. And I, this is very interesting. Uh, we need to uh, read, you know, this uh, right up here. If you, oh, I'll read both. Mrs. Yeah, Carolyn okay. Johnston of Stephenville, Texas, told the news last week she saw Oswald in the second floor lunchroom as she was on her way out of the depository to watch the presidential motorcade. November 22nd, 1963. She left the building at 12.25 p.m. She said five minutes before the assassination. This was at the approximate time Bronson was filming two images on the sixth floor. Continuing, Mrs. Johnston, then Mrs. Carolyn Arnold, was secretary to the depository vice president, O.V. Campbell. She said she never had read the FBI reports of two interviews with her. She was surprised to learn they made no mention of her sighting of Oswald in the launch room. That's extremely, that's extremely important, Jim. Okay? She never read the FBI. She was, what, 2021 at the time. All right? So can you imagine, you know, she being completely overwhelmed, you know, by the FBI and this and that, you know, and she's, you know, what, what can she do? And they, they never provided her with copies of, of her two interviews. What is she going to do? She's going to track them down and, hey, I want to see, you know. Of course not. You can go ahead. Mrs. Johnson. Misspelled name. Mrs. Johnstone should have right, been. Right, Johnston right. said she would have thought she told the FBI during both interviews of her encounter with Oswald in the lunchroom because that's the only time I remember having seen him on the day of the assassination. I do not recall that he, Oswald, was doing anything, Mrs. Johnstone said. I just recall he was sitting there in one of the booth seats on the right-hand side of the room as you go in. He was alone as usual and appeared to be having lunch. I did not speak to him but I recognized him clearly. 
And this is, uh, this is the key uh, passage. She knew Oswald because he'd come to her desk on the second floor and asked for change, never accepting pennies, but only nickels and dimes. The FBI report of her first interview four days after the assassination stated that after she left the depository and stood about 30 feet in front of the building to watch the motorcade, she thought she caught a fleeting glimpse of Lee R.V. Oswald standing in the hallway on the first floor. This, this was his alibi, Jim. You know, this was the one person. And, you know, who knows how many other people said, yeah, I saw him in the doorway, you know. And, and they just deep-sixed all that, you know. But uh, Carolyn Arnold, you know, it goes on record here, and she completely destroys, you know, the lone nut uh, theory, you know, that he was up on the sixth floor, you know, shooting at the president, you know. And because this is his actual alibi, you know, obviously next to the uh, – to the man in the doorway uh, work. Well, the photographic is more powerful evidence, of course, right. but this testimonial evidence is clearly at odds with the official account and the Warren Commission in contradicts it in a rather blatant fashion. That's right, that's right. Now, the Alton Six and the TSB doorway, we've presented this uh, many times already before, but uh, there's some new stuff that I wanna show uh, you guys. You know, this is a uh, doorman, you know, and this is our probe, you know, this is the man in the doorway. Obviously, this is the man that the government said is really a doorman, which we have completely, uh, you know, destroyed that, uh, that concept. And, uh, you know, Lee, you know, with his sh very uh, distinct shirt, you know, and the texture and the color and everything. And it's tattered condition at the bottom. Yeah, and, and we have also shown how Judy Baker has done uh, the uh, pixelation studies, which we have confirmed to be correct. Okay, and uh, those studies, uh, we've already talked about that. And obviously, you know, we have the, uh, the uh, grid uh, images, you know, that show the uh, width of Lovelady's head versus the width of, of Lee Oswald's head, okay, here. And obviously, you know, you know they have different uh, uh Billy had a, a wider cranium, a broader that's cranium right. than Lee. That's right, that's right. And the structure here on the, on the temples and everything, you know, was more like swept back, you know, Lee's was more vertical, you know. Well, he, he said, you know, he thought it was very odd they'd be confused because he was two to three inches shorter, 15 to 20 pounds heavier. heavier. And, and, you know, he just thought it was odd they'd ever be confused. I think it, it's more than 15, 20 because Lee was weighing, what, 131, 135 at the time. Billy Lovelady was weighing at least 175. You know, we're talking about that. Oh, so. I think you're right, Larry. That would have just been a, you know, a casual yeah yeah Comparison. And, and this is our probe image which we have this is the one that we've worked with you know uh, on the uh on the overlays our gallery images we've talked about this you know many times you know but remember larry your audience doesn't necessarily you know they aren't familiar with all your past work so yeah and, lay, and, it, lay it out carefully here yeah uh in order to uh use flipped images we have to establish the symmetry of the faces of both uh both men and we have done that, you know, and since this had to be abbreviated, you know, I'm, I'm not including that here. Right. To a, you know, because I only had, well, I think. They but you can find it in previous uh, new JFK yes. shows yes. you've done here with Gary and me. That's right. That's right. There's a lot more detail there. And, and this is the uh, photograph from the Bob, Bob Jackson photo shoot where, you know, this is so ridiculous. You know, it's obvious that they're posing him. Okay. And this one is not flipped. Okay. This is important. And he's, he's pursing his lips, you know, and they're obviously trying to make him look like doorway man or doorman. And, and you know, and, and when we use this for in the overlays, obviously you can see that the face, the head is wider. Okay. So when you try. Wider than doorman's head. Of yes. Of course. And when you try to scale it with the interpupillary distance, you know, and when you scale everything else, that brings that right ear inwards, you know, and we're going to see. How, uh, how this works. Uh, obviously, we would, we would have had a, a live demonstration and uh, with the overlay results, you know. And, and when we look at the, uh, when we look at the, uh, the GIFs and the animations, uh, I want our audience to focus on either on the movement or non-movement of the features as we get the overlay, the opacity. As the opacity goes from zero all the way to 100 on these overlays, you want to look at the either the movement or the non-movement. If you see a lot of movement, obviously it's not the same person. But if you do not detect movement, then all the features are lining up perfectly. Yes. And you get a positive uh, you got confirmation, a positive right? You know. And uh, this is the result of the uh, Billy Lovelady, the collage, you know, left to right, top to bottom, you know, with the different levels of opacity. And uh, 
And this is the, uh, the animated GIF uh, of that. As you can see, the nose is completely uh, uh, displaced from, from the uh, shadow. You know, you can see that this nose... Well, the nose, the ear, the jaw, the general outline right. of the skull, they're not the same. Yeah, the, the brow ridge, you know. Right. You, know, you can see the, the, uh, the head, you know, the forehead is swept back, you know. And, and uh, curiously, in this case, you know, the ear at least, you know, uh, reaches, you know, that position that we're looking for. Not so when we uh, use the frontal, the uh, non-flipped image. Uh, and um, this is our grid uh, image, you know, in order, if you want to go ahead and measure, you know, the uh, little squares, you know, you can draw empirical data. And that's the purpose of that. Now, this is the other one, the uh, not flip. And this is even more compelling because now we have, and they, we know, uh, we can't claim that we're using a flipped image, you know, that's not valid. You know, here, this is a non flipped image. And uh, it's not even close. <laughs> it's not even close here. You know, and as you can see, the ear does not uh, reach the required. Uh, it's not aligned properly, yeah. Uh, no, not at all, not at all. And, and bear in mind that the, the first uh, task here is to get the interpupillary distance, okay? Once you got that down, you know, and then you get the, uh, try to align the chin and everything, you know, then, you know, you should be able to, if it's the same man, you should be able to align everything, yet you, you, you cannot do that. And this is our, our grid uh, with the ruler, you know, overlay. Okay, and uh, obviously, again, you know, this shadow here is is not in conjunction with the nose. Okay, the lips, you know, are, are higher. You know, so you got a lot of different uh, features here that do not line up at it's all. It's rather obvious that Doorman is not Billy Lovelady. And when you do, when you look at the uh, the the GIF, the animation, again, you know, look at the uh, features, and and as you can see, all the movement here. You know, that means that this is not, uh, this is not the same man, okay? Now, going on to the next, this is our, our summary here, uh, interpupillary distance, you know, and uh, we've done this, uh, but, uh, you know, we tried, we tried our best, you know, this is a scientific uh, investigation, you know, and we, we want to give him, as, you know, the benefit of the doubt, you know, as much as possible, but uh, it just doesn't uh, add up at all. The nose is round or larger, more bulbous, the bridge is different. They, the nose here shifts to the right. Is that what? The, yeah, nose shifts to the right, displacing it from the shadow cast by uh, the nose of the doorman. Uh, there's slightly more length between the lower lip and the uh, and the uh, tip of the chin, which brings the mouth slightly higher. Eyebrows are more rounded and arched, and there's more space between the eyes and brow ridge. Shape of the chin is different. Face is wider. Forehead is swept back at a at a different lower angle. And uh, now, when we do the same exercise with uh, with Lee, um, despite the uh, you know the flip image, everything since we've already uh, proven that this uh, his face is extremely symmetrical, so we are able to uh, validate the use of a flipped image as long as it's is showing the same perspective. Okay, and here you can go you know left to right, top to bottom. You can see that everything lines up perfectly. You know, I uh, I just you know, <laughs> and this is again our grid and ruler uh, image. You know, and uh, and you know our key identifiers here. Again, the interpupillary distance you know makes everything line up perfectly. The nose matches, including the the bridge and general conformation. More importantly, that the nose is in perfect con uh, position to cast a shadow seen below Dorman's uh, nose, which was caused with, by the the noon sun, which is twelve thirty, and it's sort of slightly in front. You know, so that's why you get that uh, that type of shadow. The lips, which are pursed, you know, in a particular specific manner, they're a match. Eyebrows, brow ridge, more horizontal, they're a match. The high forehead, chin matches in size and shape, face matches in both width and height. And when you do photogrammetrics on, on both, you know, so you can do a comparison side by side, you can see, uh, you know, the vast difference here uh, between one and the other. And then we do the same thing with uh, the... Uh, the other image, you know, the non-flipped, and, you know, you know, all you got to do is follow these lines here, you know, and just project them, you know, and, and you can uh, draw a lot of really good data. And when you do side-by-sides, you know, uh, just look at these and uh, draw your own conclusions. You know, I'm not trying to sway uh, the audience one way or another. You know, I'm just providing, you know, the uh, information, the, the uh, animations, you know, and the work that's been done. And this is all, you know, in forensic science, this is perfectly acceptable, you know, and I'm pretty sure that in a court of law, you know, this would be perfectly uh, 
admissible. Okay, and uh, you know, <laughs> this is the yeah. other uh, side by side. You know, with the, this is with the non-flipped image. You know, and it's even more compelling as, as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't leave a lot of room for doubt. Right, right, right. Yeah, boy, it seems like this would be really good uh, evidence for Lee's sake if you could get it in the courtroom. But yeah, and then obviously, you know, you get a bitter, a, a much larger uh, image here of the overlay and. And, you know, just look at this, you know, and everything just fits perfectly. You know, I, I just, I cannot see how anybody can reject this, you know, as being a fabrication. You know, it's just, uh, I think it's very sound. And, uh, you know, we know that uh, Lee is innocent and, uh, you know. <laughs> did, you go on, did you go on to show about Billy being, uh, you know, having his hands raised there? Larry, do you have those no, here? No, be no, because we weren't really uh, trying to... Uh, you know, show what Billy Lovelady, where he really was, you know, and these, uh, this, this is something that I was told was going to be very brief. I had, I think, uh, 35 or 40 minutes to present it. So I had to be as, as concise and to the point and, you know, uh, as certain. Well, I'll just add that you've elsewhere shown that the man with his hands raised standing beside Lee is, in fact, Billy Lovelady. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no Just doubt Just as that. he testified to the FBI when That's he came right. in on the 29th of February, 1964, right. wearing the shirt they'd asked him to wear that he'd worn on the day of the assassination, which was the red and white vertically striped short sleeve shirt. That's right. And let's not forget that Ralph uh, found that uh, image, uh, the CE-369, uh, which shows a little tail of, of the arrow when they, tell him, uh, when they told him, you know, draw an arrow to show where you were, you know? And the only right. thing is that, in the, you know, the, the pointed part of the arrow is in the dark uh, area. In the black. It was a very clever subterfuge. Yeah, yeah. But but the the tail of the arrow is, is clearly visible, you know, and when they told him. But, you know, obviously, you know, Joseph Ball didn't want this to be developed. He did not want this to be presented. He did not want to go into specifics, you know, and because I believe, and I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm <laughs> I and mean, it's pretty obvious that Joseph Ball was the architect of 50 years. Well, Larry, I'm very proud to say that we have your book uh, being a process for publication. We have the, the, the tentative cover for the book, and we were very proud to have it uh, with Moonrock Books. And you might comment ever so briefly on the images on the front and back cover by way of conclusion. Well, um you know, now with the, with all this work that we've done with Blender, that we've been able to replicate Dealey Plaza, and that's going to be part of my presentation uh, in Dallas uh, on, on Saturday, where now we can actually create a three-dimensional uh, rendering of, of Dealey Plaza and go in there in, in a virtual world and, and, and see, you know, what uh, these people could see. And we've talked about before what the, how important, the importance of the reference images for example, we use the Alton 6, uh, Zapruder Frame 255, you know, and, and since those are different perspectives, we're able, and the Robert Cutler map, I, I think that's so incredibly important because Robert Cutler was an architect, and he came up with that, uh, uh, he came up with that map, you know, that schematic map uh, representing uh, Dealey Plaza in a very accurate manner. And all we've uh, seen, you know, in previous shows how, using that map, we can use and, and superimpose our objects and create a three-dimensional rendering of Dealey Plaza. And then we can go anywhere. We can go to the top of the Dow, Dow Tech, second floor, you know, sixth floor of the TSBD, and look at the perspectives, you know, and, and then go in and look at what each and every photographer would have seen, okay? And I think this is a, a, an incredibly useful tool. Uh, obviously, we know that a lot of landmarks have changed. For example, the lampposts, you removed from the uh, from the edge of the curb onto the grass, correct? Uh, you've got the, the doorway. The doorway used to measure three feet, the landing, and they, they uh, took it in nine feet, okay? You've got, there, there's, uh, you know, the area right before the triple underpass, uh, there was a, a concrete uh, area there. They've, they've taken that out, and I believe there was a, a bullet scar, you know, in that area. Mm -hmm. Let me just read the text from the back cover. Thanks to Larry Rivera, we finally know how and why Alton 6 was altered. After recovering misplaced interviews of the four JFK horsemen by Fred Newcomb, a first-generation student of JFK, 
Larry discovered not only that all four confirmed the limo stop, but that Officer Hargis had parked his bike and had run between the presidential Lincoln and the Secret Service Cadillac up toward the grassy knoll from which he believed shots had been fired. Officer Jackson motored his bike up the grassy knoll until it fell over and then proceeded on foot in search of the shooters. At the same time, Clint Hill rushed forward and pushed Jackie back into the car from the trunk where she had climbed after a chunk of JFK's skull and brains. Five Secret Service agents surrounded the Lincoln, one taking a piece of skull from a little boy and tossing it into the back seat. These discoveries have thereby revolutionized our understanding of the extent to which the films of the assassination, especially the Zapruder and the Nicks, have been edited to remove the limo stop. No serious student of JFK will want to miss this book. Larry Revere has proven his genius at research on the death of our 35th president, Jim mm -hmm. Fetzer, PhD. And I just want to add, Larry, you're doing brilliant work. And I find it ironic that you would be taken off for look at the building in the background here of your rendering of what the Alton Six ought to have looked like had it not been altered in the doorway area yeah. where you yeah. see the edifice of the Dow Tax which Don Fox was explaining in the program for which he was re were removed, was controlled by the Mossad and from which three shots were fired with the only unsilenced weapon used in Dealey Plaza. In my opinion, this is a complete obscenity. It's a, it's a, a moral and legal atrocity that you were taken out as the key witness in the mock trial of Lee Oswald, which demonstrates conclusively that the government is not willing the, the truth to come out even more than 50 years later. Larry, congratulations yeah. to you. I, I want to add something, Jim, really, really important there before we go. Uh, as you know, the Alton 6 photograph, everybody assumes that it was taken from, from the infield, okay, beyond the curb. But, but if you place a camera there in Blender, uh, it does not line up with the figures in the doorway or anybody there. The only way that you can get this perspective, this line of sight, is by placing Alges on the street in the middle of the left of the left lane of Elm Street, which is a clear indication that what the JFK horsemen, Shaney, Jackson, Martin, and, and, and Hard just said, that the limo came to a complete stop. Because otherwise, you know, how could Alchins, you know, uh, he would have been feet. run over by the motorcyclist. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, exactly. been in motion because it was taken from in the street. That's so they, right. They put right. him on. The, they they tried to make him out to be on the grass, just as they did with Gene Hill and Mary Mormon, who'd also right. stepped into the street for Mary to take her famous photograph. Larry, you're doing commendable work. Gary, right. Gary, yeah. take us, Larry take us, take us out. All I want to say is that tomorrow. Lee Oswald would certainly like to have Larry Rivera in his corner. Mm -hmm. However, due to um, reasons beyond our control, Larry's been removed from the witness list. You be the judge if it was the right thing to do. This is New JFK show number 170, and we're so glad to have Larry Rivera back in the saddle again. Mm -hmm. We'll see you next time.